Welcome to Coach House Talks. And as human beings, we like to make plans and like to make agreements, but often life gets in the way and disrupts them. Uh, you plan to tidy the house, but someone calls you. Next thing you know, you get distracted by an important letter you found buried in a pile somewhere, and then you need to make lunch, and before you know it, you've only cleaned one room in the house and it's nearly dinner time. Uh, think of another circumstance. At work, we've been trying to launch a new website, and for anyone who knows about that, you know, it's just, it's always plagued by delays and delays and de delays. You'll always say, oh, it's, you know, it's just, we'll, we'll get it done in the next two weeks. Two weeks come by, the developers still haven't fixed something, and then it's two weeks later and two weeks later, and who knows, it might launch this week at work. Um, and sometimes we're also the problem. We agree to do 20 different things when we're in a good mood and nice and productive at the time, and then later we just realize, oh goodness me, you know, I'm, I'm tired, it's after work, I don't really want to do it, and we can be flaky and just kind of back out of our promises. Um, we don't always make the best job or best plans because we're not always 100% reliable as human beings, we're limited. Um, and in, the, in Genesis so far, we've seen these core promises that God makes to Abraham to bless him and his descendants and the whole world. But the amazing thing is that unlike us, God isn't flaky, he doesn't, he doesn't back out. He actually always accomplishes exactly what he, what he wants to. And he always stays 100% faithful to his promises. So when we see human beings messing up in these stories, actually we can always see God coming through to make his promises come true as well. So I'm just conscious that because it's at the beginning of, uh, well, at the, sorry, at the end of Genesis, I just want to quickly skim through what we've actually covered so far. You may think that's a bit crazy considering I'm covering 25 chapters today, but I thought it was worthwhile and obviously we won't be reading every single chapter. So in Genesis 1 to 3, we see this, uh, this need for God. Um, man's created in this harmonious relationship with God, but he goes his own way, meaning that humanity is cursed with death and with sin. But God hints at deliverance at some point later in the future, this need for Jesus. In Genesis 4 to 11, we saw, that, um, we saw what life was like since humanity's fall and since humanity um, had sinned and gone away from God. Um, and people must now listen to God to overcome sin that's in the world. Thing get so, things get so bad that God has to start again. In Genesis 11 20 to 25, we see how God chooses Abraham and makes a covenant agreement with him. He will increase his descendants and bless him, as well as the nations of the world eventually. And we know this eventually, one day, will happen through Jesus, who brings the blessing of God's salvation to the whole world. So, our chapters today, chapter 25, 19 to 50. Uh, and in this section, uh, we see how God's covenant plays out with these first few descendants. He's made the promise of Abraham, now what's it going to actually look like with these first few key people? Um, and this is expanded all the way up to the end of Genesis where it leaves us on the edge of uh, the Exodus story. Um, and the main theme in these 25 chapters is the way that God upholds his covenant agreement with each one of these descendants. So we're going to look at some key moments in these chapters, obviously not all 25. Um, but first of all, let's just take a look again at Abraham and the covenant made of him. The reason I do that is just because it's mentioned again and again and again across the Bible. It's referenced so many times. It's so central. Um, so it's just good to remind ourselves of it. Uh, and that's Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, which says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. We see blessing coming through God's promises here. Um, and we can see that he becomes a great nation, a great name, a blessing to others, a blessing to all peoples on earth. And then later as this promise is reiterated a few times, we see there's a promise of the land of Canaan, uh, the descendants that come through Isaac, there's a change of name to reflect a new status, Abram changing to Abraham, um, and that God will be the God of his descendants as well. So what happens next to this covenant promise? The first thing we see is that it's absolutely unbreakable. Um, and God says in chapter 22, 16, I my, by myself I've sworn this agreement. It's something that God is not going to break. Um, and also another thing we notice is his close relationship with these descendants too. It's also a very key point. Uh, 17, chapter 17, verse 7 to 8 emphasizes this, saying the promise is made to you and your descendants. So we expect a close relationship with them too. So let's jump into the first story, and it's the story of Isaac. And we know from last week that Isaac is a descendant through whom God will work his promises. So the story of Genesis turns to focus on him. Um, so we're going to look at the key moments in the story, and we're also going to look at the key, God's key blessings upon them. So actually, the main section of, I, of Isaac's story is actually, I would say, his, his marriage. Uh, it's kind of a key point because um, he has the option at the beginning as to whether he will marry someone who's in the land of Canaan or whether uh, they'll marry within the family. And this is, it's clearly important that they marry within the family clan. Uh, so within chapter 24, verse 7, it says, To you and your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son from there. So Abraham sends off his servant to get a wife that's within that clan. And this is guarding against the idea of them just trailing off and marrying into, back into pagan nations um, when that land is eventually promised to them and their descendants. So this also becomes quite an important theme later on. And we see the first act of God's provision in doing this, uh, where the servant is sent ahead he finds, uh, he finds Rebecca, the person that, he's, that Isaac's going to marry, and he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. So we already see that God is starting to work his promises into this next line of descendants. So how else do we see God interacting with Isaac in his story? Um, so first, God promises to bless Isaac where he is. Um, there's a famine in chapter 26, which causes, Abraham, uh, causes Isaac to start going off towards Egypt. But God stops him where he is, um, and Isaac has to trust in him, um, because he reminds him of the promise to Abraham, he'll have many descendants and inherit the land of Canaan. So Isaac obeys and remains there. And we have these quite key verses that we'll kind of come back to in chapter 26, verse 3. God says, to, God says to Isaac, stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. And again, we see this link between the promise made to Abraham and the interactions with Isaac now. So let's look at it a little bit more closely. First of all, we see that God's presence is with him. The promise was made to Abraham, but we see God journeying alongside Isaac too. In verse 26, verse 3, he says, I will be with you and bless you. Isaac obeys God and remains there. And secondly, we see that God's blessing also follows Isaac. In chapter 26, 12, we hear that Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. We see the results of God being with Isaac. 
And finally, we see God's blessing is recognized by others and those who leave him in peace are also left in peace, as it said in the original agreement with Abraham. And since Isaac was living in this place called Gerar, the leader of the Philistines comes and sees what God is doing for Isaac. And he says in chapter six, verse 28 to 29, we clearly saw that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you so that you will do us no harm, just as we did you no harm, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. So it's quite interesting. We have this idea that the nations will be blessed by, uh, the nations will be, nations will be blessed by Abraham and his descendants. And we already start to see this here. There's a recognition that God's doing something in his life and in the, in the lives of these people. But, and another important theme, is that Isaac and his family are flawed. For example, we see Isaac lying about Rebekah not being his, his wife and opening her up to danger in one chapter. And also, really importantly, we see him and Rebekah, his wife, showing favoritism between their two sons they have, Jacob and Esau, which causes all sorts of issues later. It says in chapter 25, verse 28, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There's a sort of division going on in the family as well. So the, in this story, we see that they're God's chosen people, but like us human beings today, they're flawed and they're sinful, but God chooses to work in them anyway. So now we're just gonna move on to the story of Jacob and we're gonna look at the same things, sort of the key moments and the ways God's blessed, God blesses Jacob and works his covenant in his story. Jacob's story is shaped by this conflict between him and his brother, which is foretold in chapter 25, where it says, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. This is about this conflict that's gonna come up between these two brothers. And in chapter 27, we see this story is set off with the fact that Jacob swindles his brother Esau out of his, his birthright, and then he swindles him out of his inheritance. His name even means deceiver. So God's working with someone who's far less than perfect. But since Esau gives up his birthright and he gets swindled out of the blessing, and he marries into pagan nations, as God's already warned against him doing, um, God has to find a way to preserve his promise through this really flawed, really problematic guy called Jacob. So let's look at how God's work and God's blessings play out through his story. He's sent on the run after deceiving his brother because obviously his brother Esau is not too happy about that and he's probably gonna kill him. Um, so while he's on his journey running away, God speaks to him and includes these words and they're gonna become familiar to us. I am with you and I will watch over to you. Sorry, this is chapter 28 verse 15. Um, I'm over you, I'm, I'm with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And we see the same crucial line again that was said to Isaac and that's also said to Abraham. It's this, I am with you. God is with Jacob. And Jacob responds to this with a little wager. He says, if God will be with me and watch over me in this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And we see, this, we see this a lot in Jacob's story. We're not gonna cover all the chapters, but you know, he's always trying to hash out a deal and make the, you know, make the best for himself. So we're gonna to have to see what God actually does with him. So what happens and how does God bless him in his life? Well, God delivers him from hardship. After going away, he stays with his uncle Laban. He marries two women, Leah and Rachel, sisters, within his clan and, and faces mounting difficulties along the way. For example, he's tricked into marrying both of them and has to work years for it in, uh, in return. 
He's tricked out of proper wages by Laban for working with him. He faces danger as he runs away from his uncle, and finally serious danger when his brother Esau comes out to meet him with 400 men at his back. But what's important in this story is that God preserves his promise to preserve descendants through him and rescues him each time. And at the conclusion of his story, in chapter 25, he says this. Um, as, his fam- uh, as, his, um, as he's been spoken to by God, he says to the rest of his family, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where we will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, all the rings they had in, the, in their ears and all of this gold, presumably, that they, they were carrying around with them and they buried it under the great oak at Shechem. This shows that at the end of the story, after all this hardship, we see that God has brought Jacob through it. Um, God has answered his rather cheeky wager and actually has rescued him from hardship and has been faithful to him. And at the end, Jacob conc- you know, concludes by, by recognizing this. We see that God is faithful. Against all adversity and hardship, Jacob is blessed by God as God works through him. And he's not perfect, as we know. And this theme continues into our final story with Joseph. In the story of Joseph, it's famous because um, it shows how God gets around hardship once again to fulfill his promises to his chosen people, no matter what. Many of us know the story, so I'm going to focus on one key moment and then look at how it concludes. There are two central hardships he faces along the way. Um, First of all, his brothers sell him into slavery, and later he's falsely accused of trying to rape his master's wife, and then he gets put in jail. As he enters his, master's, his new master's household, Potiphar, um, and he is put in jail, we hear a critical line and key moment in the story. Once again, it says the Lord was with Joseph. So we've seen that he's with Abraham, we've seen that he's with Isaac, we've seen that he's with Jacob, and now we see the same again, he's with Joseph. Um, In the other stories, we see God speaking at length to them about this. Um, But in this story, we just see it mentioned now, and the events show that it's true. So we see that Joseph's fortunes over time are reversed, as he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, revealing that the famine will affect Egypt and the surrounding lands. He's put in charge of everything and becomes second in command to Pharaoh. So what's the ultimate result? As Joseph's brothers come to buy supplies from him, facing famine in their own land, they are ultimately all saved from death. So what is Joseph's verdict on the story? Well, he he concludes by saying this to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. At the very, very end of the story, that is what he says. Um, This proves the point just made before. God is clearly shown to be with Joseph and with his people and accomplishes his works even through the worst of circumstances. So when we draw these stories together, let's just have a look at where Genesis as a whole leaves us. We begin with Adam and Eve in the garden and we end with Joseph and his family dwelling in Egypt. God has preserved them along the way and he's kept his promise to Abraham, he's faithful. And so much of those promises remain to be fulfilled. We haven't received the promised land and we haven't seen how they become a blessing to the nations. But 
This book has set the tone for how God wants to interact with human beings, and that continues as we move into the book of Exodus. So the first point I want to say is that God is faithful to his promises. We see it when God saves Noah and his family from the flood, and we see it when he preserves Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph from their unique difficulties as he is beginning to fulfill these promises to Abraham. Secondly, we see that God is present with his people. We see God interacting with human beings constantly, whether it's to interact with Adam and Eve, trying to keep Cain from killing his brother, or being present with Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, as we've seen today. And thirdly, across the board, we see that God works through human weakness. We see God at work overcoming human sin in so many people through Genesis, starting with Adam and Eve, all the way along to a deceiver like Jacob. And we'll see how God continues to interact with his people in new ways as we move through the Bible, preparing the groundwork for the coming of Jesus. So what does this mean for us today? First of all, it means that God is with us. Each of the characters we've looked at, uh, it's a constant theme. And if we put our trust in Jesus, we can be sure that God will never leave or forsake us. As Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our trust in Jesus is something that is made secure by God's faithfulness. God is always faithful to his people, and we've seen this in Genesis, but we see it all the way through the Bible. And what we see in Genesis actually just confirms what God's character is like. And then we experience that too today through Jesus in our own lives. I'm reminded of Romans 8, verse 38 to 39, which famously says, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we place our trust in God, he's with us today, and that's because of his grace. We've been incorporated into the family of God because of our relationship with Jesus. So we see that God is faithful throughout all of history, right through the Bible. Another point to mention is that God works things together for the good. We think of, jo- we think of Joseph's word at the very end of Genesis. He says, what you intended to e- for evil, God intended for good. He says this to his brothers, who obviously sold them into slavery. And it's interesting because it reminds me of Romans 8.28 which says, we know that in all things, God works, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We see that what Joseph recognizes is that God is working circumstances in the world that are ultimately for our good. He's not working for evil. And we see that in the Old Testament in Genesis, and we see it in the New Testament in Romans. God is good, and he's working to bring about good. You know, whatever the circumstances are, whether it's unfair work to famine, slavery, plotting, scheming, God works through each of these circumstances to save his people. And we will keep seeing this across the Bible. And we're at the other end of the history, at the other end of history now. We know Jesus has forgiven us once and for all to deal with sin. We know that God will eventually renew all of creation as well. Also, we see that God fulfills his promises and he fulfills them to us as well. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And it's the same theme again, to be honest. God is faithful. Uh, It's not saying that we're always faithful, but God is. And God has promised Jesus to us as a sure way out for salvation. He is that, that firm anchor 
that steadfast source of salvation. And he is faithful to us. He will not let us go. And we see that in the stories that we've, we've looked at today, just briefly, that show us the character of God. He's faithful to them, and he will be faithful to us. And the challenge to us today, and the challenge that I actually want to leave us with, is, that, is this, do we trust that God is faithful? We've seen the way God works with his people, but will we step out and believe in our own lives and circumstances? We have this famous line in, from Mark 9, verse 24, um, where Jesus is, I think he's talking about healing this guy's son, um, and Jesus criticizes his, his unbelief in the situation that he won't be able to, to heal him. Um, but the man, the man responds, I do believe, but help me um, overcome my unbelief. Um, I think that's true for many of us. We see the stories in the Bible and we see ways God has worked in the past, um, but often we need help to overcome the inherent unbelief that's in us. We often fail to believe that God is gonna come through for us. And I think actually speaking on a personal note here, Andy referenced it before that, you know, the last couple of months for me have been absolutely crazy. It's just been one thing after another going wrong, left, right, and center. And it's actually got to the point now where it's just become funny. You know, I just see another thing going wrong and I just think, oh, there we go. But I think the, the reason I'm able to see it in that light and see it lightheartedly is only because time and time and time and time again, I've seen God coming through for me in my own personal circumstances. And I think actually I can testify personally to God's faithfulness. Um, it's very easy to be brought down by circumstances and just to stay in our own heads and think that all that we can see in front of us is all there is, you know, whether, whatever circumstance it is that you're facing. But actually I think what God's been showing me over these last couple of months is that every time he will prove faithful. Now I've not proved faithful every time in these last few months, but God has. And I think it's just appropriate actually to mention it because we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, but we also can experience this today ourselves. And it's still a challenge to us to place our own faith in God because we know that he will come through for us in our own circumstances, whatever they are. Um, and ultimately all of this, all of the Bible and our lives too, are a testament to what God has done. Not a testament to how well we've played out along the way because you know, we fail all the time. So that's what I'd actually like to leave us with. Uh, and that's the book of Genesis finished. We will be moving on to Exodus next and we'll see how the story continues and progresses. Um, and we're gonna see a lot more of God's faithfulness, a lot more of God's work with this family clan as they grow into a nation. Um, but yeah, that's for next week. So thank you. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.